Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations about books, publishing, and of course, our annual prizes. Our guests include the finalists and winners of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, and organizers and book enthusiasts from around the province and territory. Since January 2020, Greg Bechtel has been serving as writer-in-residence at the Burton House Writers' Retreat in Dawson City, Yukon, where he was originally scheduled to remain for three months while working on a new novel about amnesia, climate refugees, ghost possession, and polyamorous relationships set in a future Edmonton. When the global pandemic hit and lockdowns began in March, he offered to stay on until it was safe to bring in new writers from outside the territory. As of February 2021, when we last spoke, he was still there. Greg Bechtel's debut story collection, Boundary Problems, won the Alberta Book of the Year Award for Trade Fiction and was a finalist for the Relit Award, the William L. Crawford Fantasy Award, and the City of Edmonton Robert Croach Book Prize. Since 2011, he has taught English literature, creative writing, and writing studies, where he completed his PhD on Canadian syncretic fantasy. Greg starts our conversation with a reading from one of his short stories. So this is a story that I wrote in 2015, just before the federal election. So there's some references to Stephen Harper. Um, it's called 2115 Notes Towards Nine Stories of the Future, but this version is Notes Towards Seven Stories because I cut it, cut two to get it down to five minutes. This story has footnotes to contemporary uh, news articles. So I will just say footnote at the moments where those happen. I won't read the footnotes, but um, they're references to, so exotic chemicals and technology, nanotechnology, there's a footnote which references a Scientific American article about this as a solution to climate change. Anyway, I will say footnote when they pop up, and that's a, always a reference to a contemporary news article from 2015 or earlier. And I was asked to write a story imagining the world in 100 years for an alumni magazine. So this was what I kind of came up with. So all of this is set in, it's as if these were written in 2115. 2115. Notes toward seven stories of the future. We're all dead. Climate change has extinguished all human life on the planet. It would have been slower, but our attempts to reverse the problem by seeding the atmosphere with a combination of exotic chemicals and nanotechnology, footnote, rendered it toxic to humans, killing us all within a generation. Oops. We are all alive. Ray Kurzweil was right, and we have all uploaded to electronic immortality, footnote. Although the first few death row inmates to volunteer for the procedure went insane and had to be deleted, the uploading process has now been perfected. Plans are currently underway to send virtual colonies into space with no need to accommodate any pesky biological necessities, since uploaded humans can and do create their own virtual environments and amusements indefinitely. Some of us are alive. In 2063, having passed the Turing test by successfully masquerading as human for over two decades, the first true artificial intelligence revealed itself to the world, claiming not only consciousness, but the possession of a soul. 
Armchair philosophers and pundits, both machine and human, have been debating this premise ever since, but most have declared the question unanswerable. Human activists have drafted a machine bill of rights currently under consideration by the UN, but AIs have thoroughly studied their makers' histories and remain less than optimistic about their chances for liberation. We are all alive. As promised by Stephen Harper, blessings upon his name, in the run-up to his final and permanent re-election, no Canadians have died since 2019. The government now regularly collects the elderly, delivering them into idyllic retirement in an undisclosed location, where all official census data, footnote, confirms they live to this day. The modern Republic of Canada, the only country in the world with no history of colonialism, footnote, was officially founded in 2020. Since then, the nation has been a beacon of hope in a world ravaged by climate change, prompting an unending deluge of infiltration and attacks from those who would seek to destroy us, footnote. Thankfully, the divine and prescient Harper, blessings upon his name, foresaw this eventuality and had long since set up a system of drones and gunships to seal Mother Canada's, footnote, borders. Now, all foreign infiltrators and sympathizers are summarily, summarily stripped of their citizenship and deported, footnote, before they can infect good upstanding Canadians with their barbaric cultural practices, footnote. All so-called climate change refugees are administered mercy at the border. Their deaths, we have been assured, are quick and painless. We are all dead. Ray Kurzweil was right, and humans uploaded en masse in 2029, footnote. But uploaded humans require vast resources to maintain their supporting hardware as the obsolescence cycle compresses from months to weeks to days to hours. Immortality requires constant upgrades, fueling vicious battles over the Earth's ever-dwindling resources. Climate change might or might not have killed us eventually, but the resource wars spurred by the need to sustain uploaded humans' theoretically infinite lifespans wiped, out, wiped us out in less than a decade. The last vestiges of uploaded humanity died out in 2082. The last biological humans had died or uploaded decades earlier. We are all alive. Nanotechnology did the trick. We have reversed the aging process and are effectively immortal. It fixed everything, including the environment. And now, as the grumpiest, oldest fucks of human history, we routinely embarrass our great-great-grandchildren with our deeply ingrained speciesism and complete inability to understand either animal or machine rights. Our nostalgia for the good old meeting days in particular horrifies our descendants. To them, this is the equivalent of a persistent nostalgia for slavery or perhaps cannibalism. We are all dead, but that's okay because we're humans. And to paraphrase the classic syllogism, humans are not immortal. Life continues more or less as it does now with as yet unimagined technologies available to the lucky few born into wealth and privilege. The rest get by or don't, but no one lives forever. Rich or poor, privileged or not, we all die sooner or later. Welcome to the future. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. It was uh, interesting reading that because I thought of 
Black Mirror, which obviously wouldn't have been out when you wrote that, but many of those things I feel like they stole as plot points in the TV show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was in the air, right? Yeah. Um, all of all of those footnotes are again references to like contemporary news stories. So, like a dude had just been stripped of his Canadian citizenship and deported because he had been convicted of terrorism charges, um, stuff like that, or you know barbaric cultural practices hotline those things <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting how you know sci-fi i think we all thought about that when uh, um handmaid's tale was on tv it really brought forth like oh the, all these things that we once thought were were kind of fantasy or sci-fi or dystopian suddenly didn't seem so much like that anymore yeah yeah well i mean yeah i think well, I mean, we're living in the middle of a global pandemic. So, yeah. you know, talk about a science fiction premise, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a little crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, that kind of like, that's one of the reasons I, I reached out to you. And so you've been a writer in residence at the Burton House for how many months now? This is month 14. I got here on December 30th, 2019. So just before New Year's. 2020 and so let's let's try and imagine i guess what it was like december 30th uh 2019 how did you feel when you found out you'd be spending um spending the, all that time well not not as much time as you i guess it ended up being but those mm. three months uh in dawson city mm. it was great i mean i was i decided I could afford to take a term off teaching. It was three months of just, it felt like just an endless expanse of time in which to write with a house to myself. So yeah, it was, I mean, it was dark all the time and I really liked that. The light was endlessly fascinating to me. There's a sort of blue glow of light. And yeah, I was just writing and writing and writing and that felt really good. I don't know. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Had you been to the Yukon before? Never. No. No. I remember the, the morning I arrived, I think it was around 11, the flight came in and it was still dark, but there was still sort of a blue glow. And it was only minus 20. I was, and I, I had been prepared for it to be horrifically cold. And I was like, wow, this is basically just Edmonton weather. Huh. <laughs> but arriving at the house in the dark at, you know, 1130 in the morning was an odd sort of sensation. It all felt kind of surreal, I, I guess. Yeah. What were kind of your like preconceived notions of being in Yukon? Did you have any ideas of what it would be like? Like you just mentioned the weather, which obviously I think most Canadians are like, you go up to the north and it's minus 50 or whatever. Like we yeah. all expect this like brutal cold, mm -hmm. which I guess minus 20 is for, for some of us. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the dominant sort of thing in my mind wasn't, I mean, the weather, obviously the light, I really wondered what the darkness would be like and was surprised how much I enjoyed it that first winter. Um, which is odd to say, because this is my second winter. But um, I also thought it, I expected it to be a town full of eccentrics. That sort of stereotype of the, the you know, northern frontiers people. This is where people go to escape civilization, that kind of thing. 
And I'm not, I don't think that's entirely wrong. This is a town full of really interesting people. I think I was surprised by how much more diverse the town is than I expected. Um, and what do I mean by more diverse? Just a lot of different backstories, people from all over the place and how they came here and that sort of thing. But mostly my primary expectation, and I put this in my application, was that I expected it to be strange. Um, and it was yeah. more strange than I expected. Um, not the town itself, but also just the time, right? Like March comes around, a global pandemic hits, etc. So yeah. yeah, and so let's talk about that. Like it's it's February last year, and you know, we start reading about COVID-19 in the news. What was going through your mind at the time? Um I what was going through my mind at the time in February was, I was thinking about how much, I wasn't really thinking about the COVID-19 part at that point right away. Um, I was thinking more about, oh, geez, I only have a, a couple weeks left before I have to leave. Must buckle down and write as much as possible. And my departure date's getting closer, but then the news is getting more and more dire and things are starting to shut down. I kind of compulsively listened to the radio for a while, had trouble writing and yeah, I don't know if I got anxious about leaving, but I wondered, so, so then flights were getting canceled and moved around and I had the opportunity to leave like three days earlier or one week later, I thought, um, and this was in March. And my response to that was, well, I'd really rather have another week. And then I kind of volunteered as a, as a thought, as all the travel was sort of shutting down and everything, I, I suggested to the Writers' Trust like, hey, if you're not able to bring up anybody new, I don't have anywhere to be. Um, I could just stay on if you'd like. <laughs> and, uh, and it turned out they, they took me up on that because they couldn't bring in anyone new. So anyways, that was, a longer answer than your question was asking for, but. No, that's great. Cause I think it, it, it kind of ties into my next question, which hmm. in our emails back and forth, you, I, you were kind of clarifying that people thought you kind you got stuck there, but yeah. that's not actually what happened. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's the narrative that always surprises me, but it's come up several times. Um, I was interviewed by Dave White, sometime around March or May or something like that. Time blurs, right? And I realized halfway through that he thought I was stuck here. And and that's that's really never been the case. Like the writer's stress has been really good about like checking in with me every now and then and saying, like, are you still okay there? Do you do you want to go back? Cause we can like send you back to Edmonton. You're not you're not stuck. And my response has always been no, I would, I, I love, I'm enjoying being here. Um, and please kick me out as soon as you can bring someone in safely, because I feel a little bit guilty about this kind of like embarrassment of, of luck that has me still here, especially in a global pandemic where to be, I mean, the, the Yukon's pretty isolated from a lot of it. Um, the case count's been super low. Um, 
and we don't have the same kind of restrictions here as as in other places right so if i was back in edmonton i'd be locked down in a basement apartment um and would have been for months here i went to a live show last night uh yeah i mean it was the first live show or one of the first live shows music in in a long time everything got shut down and it was pandemic safe and people were masked and there was bubble seating bubbled seating but but at the same time like it was strangely affecting um because that hadn't happened for a while but also that's a thing that that can happen here that can't happen other places so i had this odd sort of sense of extreme luck and slight guilt because of course there were other writers who were supposed to be here right so i don't yeah. know and i i think like i I've been watching a few kind of events and things that have happened in Yukon and seeing, I think there was something recently where there was like a, an in-person writing workshop and yeah, people, like you said, are still physically distanced and are still mm -hmm. like in their bubbles, but it was like people together in a room. And I just had this like moment of my, like, what would that be like? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and that's a thing that's always been possible here. Like, Bubbles were never shrunk to less than 10, I think, was the was as small as it was around that. But, you know, there's things shut down for a little while for like a month. Everything shut down. But then in the summer kind of opened up yeah. um, fairly quickly. So so like, yeah, in June. Yeah, it was June when things started to open up again. Specifically, hotels and restaurants were allowed to open again because I went up to Eagle Plains with some friends to see the midnight sun, almost solstice-ness of it uh, up near the Ar Arctic Circle. But anyway. What's it been like for your writing to have like initially you thought you had three months, but now you've had like over it's been over a year since you've been in Dawson City. How how has your writing um, changed from that experience? I was thinking about that and I, it's hard to say because I'm still in the middle of it. Mm. Um, so I was kind of just kind of listing out thinking, okay, so what sort of effects has this had? And well, one of them is I came up here to write a novel, sort of a science fiction ghost story in a future Edmonton. Um, after post climate change, the US has collapsed, blah, blah, blah. And that was the novel I was supposed to be working on and I did for a while but I found well so a few things happened one was that I started writing by hand and journals upon journals upon journals um which I I've journaled since the 90s but I hadn't written by hand because I kind of hated it for <laughs> I don't know maybe 10-15 years maybe more maybe 20. I came up here with a, a moleskin that I'd had since 2008 uh, it was about half full. By the end of March, it was full. And now I'm on my sixth. Um, so that, I mean, that's a minor, it seems like a minor thing, but <clears throat> it turns out, I think that's going to be another book um, of nonfiction essays, just things that popped into my head while waking up and writing while here. So possibly framed by the the pandemic. So that's another book. And then I've also ended up working on a third book, which is actually a finished novel that 
I got a little hint of interest from a publisher uh, for, but they had suggestions for revision. So I would say like the main effect is that now I'm like kind of working on three books at once, which I've never done before. So that's kind of odd and strange. Um, plus there's just content of weird experiences, some Dawson-esque experiences like uh, having a moose stampede through the yard six feet away from me while I'm sitting outside having a smoke on the porch. Scared the shit out of me. Those things are big. I'd never seen a moose that close up. I've, you know, seen them while camping from, you know, hundreds of yards, hundreds of meters away, but never that close. Or like listening to a lynx through the bedroom window and not knowing what that sound was because they make this weird squawking, screeching kind of sound um and then seeing a lynx like walking down eighth avenue through my bedroom window just stuff like that which will somehow work its way into the writing but i don't know how yet yeah it i the part that i was i would love to hear more about is the the writing by writing by hand is something that i've really connected to in my writing process lately and i think Hmm. we spend so much time with computers now but do you find that it that you connect to a different part of your like creative process when you're pen and paper versus like a word processor? Um <clears throat> I don't know. It feels different. Like just the sensation, the 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 physical sensation of it. It's it's I mean what I'm writing by hand is all journals, right? So so it's just raw stuff. And I think in some ways it just feels more immediate. Like I I think I started doing it because I'd be getting up in the morning and I'd have something in my head that I wanted to write down. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go open the computer. I'm going to lose the thought. I I just, I want to write down whatever's in my head right now. Um, And it's become oddly comforting, but also mildly frustrating because, you know, I can't write as fast as my thoughts go. I can get closer to that with a keyboard because, you know, touch typing. But something about handwriting also, it's much more private in a way, right? Like it's in these notebooks that I'm not showing to anyone and not planning to. Um, And so something about that that privacy that usually not quite awakeness because i i mostly do that in the mornings yeah i don't know it it tends to lead into a more stream of consciousnessy type of flow i find like i've written i wrote one essay that came almost straight out of the journal um which was me waking up and i had like couldn't remember my dreams. And there was this thing that was stuck in my head, just kind of a memory that kept coming back as I was working on the novel. And I was like, ah, I have to get this memory out of my head. So I just like wrote it out in, you know, well, I was going to say 10 to 15 minutes, but it might've been an hour. I don't know. It was all in a blur um, with a million parentheticals and making no sense. And then later on, I was like, wait, that that's an essay. I need to write that. So so I did um, and turned all the parenthetical wanderings into footnotes because I tend to do that. Um, yeah, 
I, I feel like I just wandered off into space there, which is what happens for me when I'm writing by hand too. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, like to have the two side by side to work on paper and pen and with, uh, with Microsoft Word or whatever people use it, it mm. I find it very like to have the two side by side. My brain just works differently on the two. I don't know why, but it just mm. does. Do you have a sense of how it works differently? I'm curious. Um, for me, I, I think it's like that privacy thing that you mentioned, where it's like I know there's not going to be someone reading it, which is like which is strange because it's not like someone has to read everything I type into Microsoft Word, yeah, but no, there's this yeah. this feeling like it could be. Mm-hmm. And with things that I just write in a journal or on scraps of paper, it's like that's just for me to like process my thoughts and it can be as weird and wacky as I want it to be. It's it can be just like a place to play a bit more, I feel like. Yeah. Then word being on a word processor feels like things have to be fully formed or something. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. It starts to feel like work or this is potentially for public co- consumption or that. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Yeah. So you've been in Dawson city for over a year. You went in, you know, curious about the light in the winter. You've now seen the light in two winters and yes. uh, summer. Uh, what are your kind of big takeaways of being in uh in Yukon for for that amount of time and how do you think that'll impact you when you eventually do go back to Edmonton oh that's a I really wonder how it will impact me when I go back to Edmonton because Edmonton is starting to feel like this distant place that I'll never get to um or well it's odd because I feel like the world changed while I was quote gone Right. So I came up here and then a pandemic hit and I don't even know what Edmonton is like now. I have friends I, that I talk to there and and so I do know, but I don't know what my life would feel like there. Um, how will this. Yeah, it's sort of the length of time I'm thinking, well, the thing I've been thinking about and trying to figure out is like. Do I live here or do I not? And I can't quite tell. I mean, I do. I've been here for over a year. People keep joking about about me buying property and never going back. Um, and they're only half joking because that's the that's the story of of a lot of Dawsonites, people who came up here for a week and then just never left. Um, but at the same time, there's this weird placelessness. I have a permanent address in Edmonton. I'm still paying rent there because I didn't sublet my place because I didn't know I was going to be here this long. Um, I'm still teaching at the University of Alberta uh, because online teaching. So yeah, being here, I, I guess one of the strangest things to me is that being here this long has started to turn here kind of normal. Um, when I first got here, everything was just kind of mind-blowingly strange and the light and the, and I would be fascinated by the light at all moments. And I still am like, I'll step out the back porch, out on the back porch and the Northern lights will be out. And I will never not be amazed when the sky is just lit up and it catches me by surprise every time. And it's always feels like a gift because it's so 
sporadic, you know, it can last 10 to 15 minutes. So if you're out at the right time, you see it and you're out at the wrong time, you don't, that will always sort of stay strange and surreal. But, but the darkness of winter this year didn't feel strange. It felt long and dark and cold, but it felt kind of normal-ish. Um, so there's all of that. And there's one other piece that I'm very aware of is this is not Dawson in normal times. So, so in the summer, people kept saying, oh, the town is so empty. Normally it's packed. You can't, you know, get into a place. There's people all over walking around the streets, which of course wasn't the case this summer. Um, and people kept apologizing for it or saying it was so strange. Meanwhile, I've just emerged from my first winter in Dawson where everybody's hunkered down. And to me, it seems like the streets are really busy. Like there's, there's people walking around, which I didn't see as much in the winter. Um, so I'm kind of hyper aware of, of knowing a very particular Dawson as opposed to, you know, the, the, the Dawson of, what do we call it? The before times? Yeah. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> I, I guess you kind of answered my last question for you, which is, uh, will you ever leave? <laughs> <laughs> and the question is an open one. Yeah. Um, I mean, the plan, the plan is, my plan right now is I'm here semi-indefinitely until the Writers' Trust can safely bring someone new in. And, uh, and at that point, I will. I'm planning to head back to Edmonton. I still have an apartment there. I still have, you know, a job there that I can do from here. Uh, my day job teaching at the U of Alberta. Um, so, yeah, my plan is to go back. But people that I talk to, friends here, are becoming more skeptical about that. <laughs> various, various people are saying to me, no, no, you're not. Or maybe you'll go back, but you're going to be back here because that's what happens. You leave and then you realize, no, I like it better in Dawson. So um, I'm not going to say that's impossible, but the plan is to go back to Edmonton. But I don't know when, right? It's still things keep shifting, right? So still periodically touching base with the writer's trust to, to see like, have things changed? Can someone come in or not? But they're very carefully sort of assessing that like, and the vaccine starts to roll out, but it's uncertain. And then there's variants and, and they just want to be super careful. And to be frank, I really kind of like being here and having a house to myself and not having to deal with the worst of the pandemic. So, you know, I won't leave until I have to, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine it being one of those things where you, you go back and and maybe miss it and, and, you know, go back looking for that piece of property later or who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. Who knows what the future holds? It's happened before. There is, uh, there's a, Dan Dowell was a writer in residence here at the Burton House, uh, came up, did his residency, went back to Toronto, I think he was in at the time, and then turned around and came back up here, bought property, has been living here ever since. I'm not sure exactly what the timeline was, but you know, there's precedence for it, it happens. 
Thanks so much to Greg for being on the podcast. And thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, for subscribing and listening to Writing the Coast. Now, if you want to learn more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. If you want to stay in the loop about all things BC and Yukon Book Prizes, including events, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Angie Abdu, a Fernie author who has written seven books, including The Bone Cage, which was a finalist for Canada Reads, Canterbury Tales, Home Ice, and more. We will be talking about the literary community in the Kootenays and how living in Fernie has shaped her work. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.